Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. If you want to stop feeling alone, afraid, and stuck, then today's guest may have the answer for you. Joining me to discuss how we can learn to feel loved and connected is Dr. Denora Nieves, a behavioral scientist and personal development coach who is a consultant for OWN's Ianla Fix My Life. Dr. Nieves has held counseling positions at the Joe Torrey Safe at Home Foundation and the Mary J. Blige Center. She specializes in helping people identify thoughts and behaviors that are keeping them stuck. She is here today to talk about her program that's designed to untangle limiting beliefs and fears. Dr. Nieves is the author of Love You, 12 Ways to Be Who You Love and Love Who You Are. Welcome, Dr. Nieves. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk. Dinor, I'm so happy to have you on the show because your work is it's really about something that so many of us experience. And I want to go back a little bit in your life to when you were in your 20s. Like so many of us, you experienced toxic relationships, heartache, and struggle. How did those experiences shape the work that you do today? Oh, they played a tremendous role in the work that I do. I think it was at that time in my life that I felt the most alone, even though I was surrounded by people who loved and, and cared for me. Uh, I just couldn't connect to myself, and I didn't feel supported by the universe at large, and everything seemed to be a struggle. And so all of those feelings, although I've had the opportunity to overcome the experiences, all of the feelings are things that still resonate with me. And when I encounter people who are experiencing the same emotional struggle, I almost transport back to those moments and know exactly what that feels like and why we're there and what might help. Um, so it, it has played a tremendous role in the work that I do today. So let's talk a little bit about why we're there. Why do you believe you and so many of us have those types of feelings? Well, I think it's a multitude of reasons. I don't think there's one specific cause, but I do think that those reasons include um, a sort of social focus on other people, right? We're taught very early in life that we shouldn't be selfish, that we should be concerned with what other people are thinking and feeling. And people who strive to be good people, we completely and totally abide by that. Um, I don't think that we're taught that we can do that and still put ourselves first and still be a priority for ourselves and still focus on ourselves. And so there's this idea that self-love and selflessness are mutually exclusive, right? That you can't be a good person who is connected to larger society and still be worried about who you are and how you grow. And so we choose. We either become the selfish, self-centered person or we become the sort of other-focused person and we never learn how to balance those two. Dinara, one of the things that I learned after going through trauma in my life was that we are some of the whole. I say the mind, body, soul, and spirit. We're not any one of those entities, but we're some of, of all of those. And your work is centered on what you call the eight dimensions of wellness. So you're taking it, you're breaking it down even further. What are these areas? And, and let's just talk very briefly about each and why they're so important. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, the eight dimensions of wellness are emotional, financial, social, spiritual, occupational, physical, intellectual, and environmental. And when I was going through everything that I was going through, I was struggling in each of those areas, but I didn't have a conceptual framework, right? I, I would have never said to one of my homegirls on the phone, oh, I think I'm having a you know, financial dilemma or occupational crisis, or I'm in a spiritual um, you know, existential crisis, right? That wasn't how I spoke about it, but it certainly did fit. And as I started to get better, I realized that each of those dimensions offered me an opportunity to really focus on myself and develop my sense of well-being. And when I got my hands on that conceptual framework, it all seemed to make sense, right? So mm -hmm. part of what I do in the book is give people really concrete examples of how they can be more focused and um, more developmental and self-improving in those areas, right? So um, each dimension has sort of tangible aspects to it. Um, you know, emotional wellness is really about how you relate to yourself and how you center. So I talk to people about meditating and having healthy relationships. Financial wellness is not just really about, you know, how you manage your money, but it's also about do you believe in abundance? Do you go through the world believing that there is enough? What are your ideas about money, right? What controls your thinking and your habits? So each of those dimensions has some sort of um, tangible aspect of power in your life. And if you can explore it and deconstruct it and figure out how you got there and what you're doing in that area and how to get better, it really lays out a nice framework for you improving your sense of well-being. Is it important that these areas be balanced? Absolutely. And I talk a lot to clients about that because one of the things that I think people often do, and, and I'm at fault for this as well, is we end up being really good at one or two of them, and we sort of focus in the areas that we're really good. And then we ignore the other pieces of our life. So you'll see people who are really good at managing their money, but their emotional lives are not very well. Or you'll see people who are physically in shape, but Spiritually, they may not be aligned with what their purpose is or um, any sense of vulnerability or gratitude, right? So people will tend to focus on the things that are easier for them to grasp and ignore some of the other areas, but they're equally important. Dinara, earlier you mentioned the importance of self-love, that we practice self-love, and mm -hmm. You also said that when we do, we often feel guilty for doing so. So what are some of the strategies that you write about in your book that can help us to practice self-love without guilt? Well, I think that the first and foremost thing is first and foremost in the day, right? So I, I tell a lot of my clients, a lot of my friends, and I do this myself, is I take some time in the beginning of the day to just do things that make me happy. And that can be anything from watching a television show that helps me to relax, or it can be prayer and meditation, or it can be a yoga class, um, or it can even be journaling or writing all of my ideas about a project that I'm working on. So I, I sort of spanned there, right? I went from a physical activity to an emotional activity to, a, a, you know, a, a spiritual and, and physical together, right? You can do any mix of it, but really putting yourself first in the morning so that you are available to other people as a full version of who you are and not sort of what I always um, said, in, you know, what I say in my book and I say to a lot of people is I sort of was selling myself off for the parts, <laughs> you know, if you can imagine a car, right? right. Um, so that's what you want to do is really first and foremost, first thing in the day, get yourself centered doing activities that help you to improve your wellness in any one or any number of those dimensions so that when you go out into the world, you're fully accessible to other people for all that you are in your entirety. I remember when I was raising my family, anytime I did anything for myself, I did feel guilty. But what I quickly learned was that when my well ran dry, I didn't have anything left to give to other people. So mm -hmm. it really is the greatest gift you can give others. It's not selfish at all. Yeah, no, and the other thing that we often do is we hold people responsible for reciprocating the energy that we put into them, even if we've never requested it. And we hold them hostage 
the energy that we've put into them. And it's, it's unfortunate because oftentimes we don't even have the conversation. So we're pouring 80% of who we are into this relationship with another person, a spouse, a child, an employer. And then we are so resentful when we're not getting the same thing back or we're not getting back enough to fill what we've emptied out. And it's, it was never agreed to. <laughs> so why, you know, we're resentful that we're not getting something that we never bothered to ask for and that, frankly, we could have given ourselves had we been more discriminating with the way we use our time and energy. Dinar, you say that we need to learn how to turn off mute so we can be heard. What does that mean? Well, I think that has two meanings. And, and actually, the more people I talk to, other people bring their meanings. So I'd love to hear what it means for you, too. Um, the way it came about was really, as women of color, um, I was having a conversation with a, a very good friend who is a white woman. And she was on mute, and, and I and the other person on the phone couldn't hear her. And so she got back on the phone. She's like, I've been talking the whole time. And I'm like, ah, that's kind of what it's like to be a woman of color. <laughs> He's like, we've been talking the whole time, and no one has heard what we've said. So that was the way that the impression, I mean, the expression was born. Um, and it, it was a little bit comical, and it was a little bit insightful at the same time. Then is how often we really turn off our inner voice. And so we go through the world, and we've been socialized to have a good sense of what other people want and need from us. And we determine what we're going to do and who we're going to be on the basis of what other people require. And that does serve us in some aspects, in some spaces, in some ways. But there's a real gift to being able to tap into your intuition and really being able to listen to who you are and what you need for yourself and waking up in the morning and really paying attention to what that voice is telling you and being guided by something that's more internal. And so we've learned to mute that for so many years. And I think a big piece of the work we have to do is learning how to take that off of mute. Well, you were asking what you thought it meant to me, and I I live that for mm -hmm. much of my marriage, which, uh, which ultimately ended in divorce. But I was talking and shouting and, and screaming to be heard, and I wasn't. And I, I kept it on mute. I, I totally mm -hmm. understand that. I allowed it to continue until I turned off mute. And once I did, I ended mm -hmm. up getting divorced. So I do understand mm -hmm. that from both sides of what you described. And so much of what you experience, and I've experienced that as well, is a big fear that keeps us in mute, right? Because most of us understand that we developed a lot of the relationships that we cherished under false pretense. We really did. It wasn't our intention, mm -hmm. and it, we're more right to admit it most of the time, right? But, but a lot of the relationships have in our lives, we think, would not continue if we really asked for what we needed, if we were to really say how we felt, if we were to really make some requirements, some requests, and some demands that really honored us. And so we keep a lot of those things to ourselves because we don't think the relationships will sustain it. Mm -hmm. And it's a big piece of the fear and the deterrence of, of being on mute or being uh, letting go of it. And I think what you've identified is that there's a life after it, right? Well, that some of that... It, yeah, there is, no, but what I was going to say is I do believe if I turn the mute off earlier in the 23-year period of the marriage, I don't think it would have had the same result. I think keeping that mute on for 23 years, when I finally turned it off, it was almost too much of a shock for my husband. So I think if I had taken it off earlier, we would have had a, a different outcome. Yeah, yeah, possibly. You know, that's the lovely messy, wonderful, disgusting part of all of this, right? <laughs> is we don't know what we don't know, you know? Right, right. And so as we're learning and as we're growing, there's so many things that we theorize and we think about, and maybe it would have been better and maybe not, you know? And maybe there is a way to do it differently, and maybe it was done exactly as it needed to for it to give you what you needed to grow. So there are no lost lessons, you know? No, and, and you know, in, in talking about 
self-love and, and having the confidence to turn off mute and to believe in ourselves. I think so much of the problem is that we doubt ourselves. We think so little of ourselves. And, and I'm not really sure where that comes from. What are your thoughts on that? I think you're right. I think we do think little of ourselves. And I think it's because there is a, um, an idea that thinking big of yourself makes you arrogant. And there is an idea that there is a, an honor to being humble in quotes. And the reason I say in quotes is because it's more of the common idea of humble, which is to be pious and to be um, sort of quiet and shy. I don't necessarily think of that as humility. I took this phenomenal um, spirituality class with a Hebrew rabbi. I'm not Jewish, by the way, but I, lo- I just love spiritual teaching of any kind. And they talked about, in the class, talked about humility as really seeing yourself as the most important thing in the world and the least significant thing in the world at the same time. That it really is about balance. And I talk about it in my book as really um, centering yourself, if you would think of yourself as a sort of a pendulum swinging, centering yourself somewhere between I have a lot to offer and I have a lot to learn. And I really think that's the key, is not seeing yourself as the biggest thing or seeing yourself as the smallest thing, or maybe seeing yourself as both, right? But really finding that in between that allows you to stand in the power of who you are and still be open to the power that's around you. And that's important, to stand in the power of who you are. And I'm a believer that that inner power a lot of it comes from the way that we talk to ourselves. Dinner, we speak to ourselves in a way that we would never think of talking to another person. <laughs> and, you know, how do we go about changing that? What do you think we need to do to stop speaking to ourselves in, in such a, a self-hating way? Yeah, catch the judgment. You know, a lot of judgment is based on extremes, right and wrong, good and bad. Um, and so what I tell my clients all the time and what I've worked on for a very long time is really starting to remove those things and not thinking of things as good or bad or right and wrong, but just thinking of who I want to become and how I want to work on that. And then looking at what I do, what I think, what I say, how I feel as either helpful towards that goal or not so much. And when I experience what I experience, I don't judge myself for experiencing it, right? I just sort of get a handle on what it is and where it came from and where it's going to take me. And then I make some choices about how to process it, manage it, let it out, um, and keep it moving. I think what keeps us stuck a lot of times is what you're talking about, that judgmental self-talk, where you're constantly criticizing yourself and you don't let yourself off the hook for things that you feel you could have done differently. And you don't let yourself off the hook for the goals that you feel you should have been at already and, and the things you want to accomplish. And rather than them being dreams, they turn into torments, you know, and it just becomes mm-hmm. this crazy. I call it the, um, the Wizard of Oz tornado, you know, it's like I see it with my clients, and I used to do this a lot myself. I'd, like, get upset about one thing, and all of a sudden I'm picking up, you know, and I was supposed to wash the sheets, <laughs> and why didn't I, you know, and it's a, now, you know, I've picked up the dog and Dorothy and the whole freaking damn tornado. So I really think it's important for us to catch the self-talk. What do I say to myself? How did I just judge myself? Why am I judging myself? There is no right or wrong here. If there was no right or wrong, what more compassionate thing would I say to myself and really start to change that in the moment. And all of the the negative things that we've experienced, it it's so difficult to let go of them, but letting go is sometimes the best thing that we can do. Yeah, you know, letting go was hard for me. And so what I had to do in order to facilitate some letting go is recontextualize, right? So I started to say, if I do love myself, If I love myself, then everything about me is exactly as it's supposed to be. And if everything about me was created by everything that I've been through, then everything that I've been through was part of making me who I am, and it couldn't have been wrong because I'm awesome. And so I just had to give those things a different context. Um, And when I was able to do that, then I was able to let go of some stuff, not because letting go was the goal anymore, but just because it wasn't worth holding on to. Dinar, what are some ways that 
you would recommend for us to build better, stronger, more meaningful relationships? Hmm. I think that the number one thing that I would say is important in building relationships is honesty. Because I think that we go into relationships oftentimes looking for who we want the other person to be and presenting who we want the other person to think we are. And there's some power in that, believe it or not, because I know a lot of people who love who they've become in the eyes of others, right? Um, But there's also a lot of disempowerment in that because it means that you are never fully satisfied with who you are or who another person is, and you don't fully see them, and they don't fully see you. And then it leads to disappointment, and it leads to broken agreements, and it leads to other complications that are not healthy. So I think honesty is really important, and vulnerability is a piece of that. You know, just being honest about where we're strong, where we struggle, what we need, what we want, what we can do, what we can't do. Really, really being transparent, I think, is an important piece of having a healthy relationship of any kind. The the one thing when you were talking about honesty that struck me, I remember after getting divorced, I did a um, a healing program that was based on the the 12 steps of AA. And one of the first ones was, you know, accepting what you can't change. And mm-hmm. and I think a, a big mistake that we make is, as you said, we're always trying to change another person rather than accept that person mm-hmm. for who he or she is. And you're right. I mean, that doesn't serve us well. Yeah. And, you know, accepting somebody doesn't mean that you have no conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. You know, one of the hardest moments in my life ever is when I decided I needed to be honest with my parents about things that I have felt about them. And they were phenomenal parents, which makes it harder. (laughs) Because (laughs) the better people are to you, right? The Mm -hmm. the more um, guilty you feel about pointing out anything that you ever even struggled with. Um, But having those conversations as hard as they may transformed our relationships in such powerful ways. But really, I, I would have never even... Had we had this conversation 10 years ago, I would have never said to you, you know what, Joan, I think I've been lying to my mama about how I feel about, you know, A, B, or C. Um, little things, right? Like maybe I don't like when you cook rice every day. I actually do, so that's a bad example. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, little things. We just mm-hmm. don't even know how much we're holding inside. And I think that we think that not telling the truth about certain things because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings or because we don't want to upset the dynamic or because we're afraid we're going to lose them. We think that if we don't tell it, they don't feel it. And usually the truth is in the energy. And so then there's a disconnect between what you're admitting to and what you're emanating. And that'll bring all kinds of upset in even the best relationships. The book is Love You, 12 Ways to Be Who You Love and Love Who You Are. If you'd like to get more information about Denora and her work, you can visit denoranieves.com. Denora, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I want people to learn how to put their wellness first and make their well-being a priority, guilt-free and unapologetically. Because you really cannot be a resource or a benefit to anyone else until you learn to build a solid foundation and relationship with yourself and inside of yourself. And then I think once you do that, you are just such an amazing light in every room that you walk into, in every space that you enter. And that is probably one of the best ways to be of service to this world. Denora, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing in this conversation about self-love. As you said, self-love is a priority. We need to do it without guilt and without apologies. So thank you so much for talking about your book and for sharing some strategies with us. Thank you for having me, Joan. I'd love this conversation and let's talk again. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. 
Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Sold by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Sold by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Sol is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your Rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973 722-1154. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. It's time for To Your Health. Joining me today is diabetes educator Amy Folker and Rainey Pertain, a type 1 diabetes patient. Amy and Rainey will discuss the advancements in diabetes management and they'll provide tips for those living with the condition. Welcome, Amy and Rainey. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Amy, let's begin with you. Diabetes is one of the fastest growing epidemics, affecting more than 400 million people worldwide. Approximately one in two people with diabetes remain undiagnosed and untreated, which can result in significant health consequences. Tell us a little bit about diabetes and the burden people living with the condition regularly face. Diabetes is a condition where um, the body can't regulate its glucose level properly. So people with diabetes have to kind of take on that challenge and that burden themselves. They need to learn a lot about diabetes and the effect of glucose on the body. Um, Glucose is really important because it's the energy that our cells need to keep functioning. So they need to learn what things raise their glucose, like the foods that they're eating. They need to learn what things can lower their glucose, like their activity level or exercise, and really try and balance all this. And oftentimes it requires medication also. Why is it so important for people with diabetes to monitor their glucose levels? Well, it's really important that people with diabetes do keep track of their glucose levels. They need to monitor their glucose level, try and keep it in that target range as often as possible. Glucose levels that drop too low can be a problem right then and there. They can cause people to feel bad. In the worst case, it can cause people to actually pass out. So if the blood sugar is dropping too quickly, they need to get some type of glucose into their system. They need to get some juice or regular soda. When the glucose levels remain too high over the long term, it can lead to complications. Some of these can be devastating, heart attacks, strokes, blindness from eye problems, kidney disease. So it really is important to find out if you have diabetes, take it seriously, monitor your glucose levels, work with your physician uh, to really keep things under control. What are some of the challenges that come with the current methods of glucose monitoring? Well, until now, um, the only way to check your glucose level was to poke your finger and use a meter to test your blood. And people didn't like this. It was time consuming, it required a lot of equipment, and they do not like poking their finger. There is some pain associated with it. Now, um, it's a really great time in advancements in technology for people with diabetes. The Abbott Freestyle Libre is now available and it allows people to monitor their glucose level without routine finger sticks. Rainey, how long have you been living with diabetes and what are some of the challenges that you face on a daily basis? 
Yeah, so I've been living with type 1 diabetes for over 27 years. Um, and like Amy was saying, there's a lot of things that go into the diabetes management. You never get a break from diabetes. It's a 24-7 thing. Um, but for me, what's really challenging is there are a lot of things that can impact my glucose levels, and they can change day to day. So I always have to be ready and prepared to make adjustments in how I'm managing um, my diabetes. And um, depending on what I'm doing, what activities um, I'm take, partaking in, um, can have to adjust um, and make changes um, to fit my activity level, what I'm eating, what I'm doing that day. So it requires a lot of flexibility. So for someone who's been recently diagnosed with diabetes, um, I would let them know in the beginning it can feel really overwhelming. There's a lot of information to learn, um, a lot of new things to start doing, uh, but it gets easier. Um, the more you can reach out um, to the, the diabetes community, it's a great group of people out there. Make those connections and get that support. Amy and Rainey, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure speaking with both of you. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. She wants to be home with her friends. But at this moment, she's fighting a brain tumor. Please take a moment and join St. Jude in finding cures and saving children. Visit stjude.org. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. If you think obesity is just a problem for humans, think again. According to recent findings, over 54% of dogs and 58% of cats can be classified as overweight or obese. Considering their size, even one or two pounds of additional weight on pets can place significant stress on the body. Today's guest, Travis Bornson, a pet expert, professional dog trainer, and the host of Animal Planet's My Big Fat Pet Makeover, is on a weight loss and behavior modification journey with pet owners and their overweight animals with the goal that the pets and humans can get to live a longer, healthier, and happier life together. Welcome, Travis. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks for having me, Joan. Excited to be here. So, Travis, most pet owners don't even recognize that their pets are overweight. How can we tell if there's an obesity issue? What are some of the warning signs? Sure. Well, you know, one of the first things we want to do is, you know, I tell my clients at home, you can always do a self-home check uh, to find out if your pet is overweight. Because what happens is a lot of pet owners, they're either in denial that their pet is overweight or they aren't educated to know uh, and or uh, they think it's cute, you know, which is just very, very harmful. So one thing you can do at home is what I call a hand check. And you can simply take your hands and put it over the the rib cage of your pet. And just if you just hold your hands there lightly and run them down the sides, you want to be able to feel that ribs exist, but you don't want to be able to visually see them. Uh, And that's a great way to check and see if if your pet is close to their ideal weight. And the second one is you can look up what's called a body condition score for pets. And you can look at actual pictures or photos and compare to your cat or dog or whatever pet you might have to see if they're if they're close to their ideal body weight. Travis, what are some of the most common causes of obesity in pets? Yeah, well, so Joan, you know, a lot of people don't realize that it, they're so similar to humans. And obesity is actually causing a lot of these issues, everything from arthritis to urinary tract infections, uh, liver disease, diabetes. Uh, it's even linked to some cancer. You know, these pets aren't designed to carry all this extra weight. So when they're overweight or obese, you know, we're causing issues with their internal organs. We're adding weight to their joints. You know, they can give give them things, you know, as bad as osteoarthritis issues. We had one of the pets, Gracie, on the, on the show, uh, my big fat pet makeover, who had a knee replacement. And due to some medical conditions, along with her bad knee, she didn't exercise. And she put on so much weight that then the other knee needed to be replaced. And because she was so overweight, the veterinarian wouldn't do it. So she wasn't able to exercise and she needed the knee replacement. And so we took her through a whole makeover. You know, but that's just one example of many across America of an effect of obesity. Travis, what if our pet is the correct weight but doesn't get much exercise? Is there a problem like that, just like a person who's thin but may not be fit? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, being healthy isn't just about your body condition. Um, Just like a person, you know, we have to be physically and mentally stimulated. 
So even if your dog seems healthy from a body condition standpoint, are we challenging them mentally? Uh, The whole idea of having a pet is the enrichment, not just of our life, but of their life as well. And if you have a pet that just lays around all day and you say, well, he's healthy, he's good. Well, why do you really have that pet? How are you enriching the life of that pet? Mm -hmm. Um, And pets want to be engaged. They want to be loved. They want they want quality time, just like us humans. And that's what makes having a pet so wonderful. I have friends who joke that their dogs won't eat dog food. They give them either what they're having for dinner or they make them something special because the dog is so finicky. Is that a good practice? Well, it's it's not. And that goes to one of the reasons pets do tend to get overweight is just not being educated. And yeah. so what I would tell a pet owner like that is if I went out to dinner and uh, you know had a meal and then you offered me uh, uh, two plates and one had a, a piece of cherry pie on it and one was full of broccoli, right? Well, I'm I'm going to lean towards the cherry pie and I'm going to pass on the broccoli. Why? Mm-hmm. Because I'm already full, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times when people say, well, my cat or dog won't eat the food, but if I'll give them you know, X, Y, or Z, they'll eat it. And I say, well, dog food has all the ingredients, uh, you know, most uh, well-balanced dog foods have all the ingredients needed, you know, to help a pet survive. So if they're choosing not to eat it, chances are they're just not hungry enough and they're going for that cherry pie because you're offering it to them. You can't love your pet too much, but you can love them at the wrong time or in the wrong way. So there's other ways, you know, a pet looks at us and we go, oh my gosh, he needs a treat or he's so hungry. And then we give it to him and they go lay down. But that's a human emotion that we're placing on the pet. And we have to remember they're animals. So they could very easily be saying, hey, pet me, you know, play ball with me, take me out for a walk, you know, stimulate my mind, spend time with me. Um, And so we really help owners find other avenues to show their love that will help not just fuel the, the physical health, but the mental health as well. I remember when we taught our dog Ginger to sit and give the paw and then we gave the treat. Anyone who came in the house, we were so proud of that. We were showing it off and this poor dog was getting all these treats because we were showing off. That's right. That's right. You know, it really does fuel them, not obviously, obviously food, but uh, the, you know, the praise, the affection, mm-hmm. how happy they make us as owners, you know, really is a form of love uh, for that pet. And so, you know, owners that do that with the treats, I say it's very easily for you to match that praise along with the treat. And over time, the treat can disappear and the praise you're giving in association with the treat can then hold the value of that food and eventually praise will be all you need. So Travis, if you could sum this up, what are some meaningful changes that we can make in our pet's daily routine? Sure. So, you know, a couple of the causes are unhealthy eating habits, high caloric food, alternating diets can sometimes cause uh, this weight gain. So some easy fixes is measure out your, your pet's meals. Know exactly how much you're giving them um, and and give them to them at certain times of the day. Maybe you're going to feed one meal a day or maybe you're going to divide it up into two meals a day. But let's not leave that food out for the entire day. Uh, If if we have the smallest inkling that your pet might not be able to self-regulate, puppies obviously, you know, can be on a different schedule. But as they get older, we want to regulate that food intake and then we can supplement some of that food if we feel they're getting on the heavy side uh, with those good fruits or vegetables like green beans, sweet potatoes. And then find new ways to love your pet through exercise, affection, and spend time with them. That's what makes them so great. A healthy pet will live up to two years longer than an unhealthy pet. Travis, thank you so much for joining us today. Pets are family members. And, you know, it's really important, as you said, that we treat them the way we would treat any other loved one in our home. So thank you for helping us keep them healthy, happy, and with us for as long as possible. Thank you, Joan. We'll be right back. Are you too serious? We all know that work and play are the stuff of our lives. Almost all of our waking hours are spent doing one or the other. Because these activities are so dynamically connected, they are strong determinants of wellness. Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex and confusing healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals that want to improve their health and well-being. If there are significant 
immediate ongoing problems in either work life or play, your state of health will usually reflect it. Rather than changing what you do for work or play, it is an increased awareness and a change in attitude that is important. By incorporating some positive aspects like gratitude, journaling, exercise, good nutrition, meditation, and random acts of kindness, you can improve your current state at work and home. The list of stress-related diseases grows daily, and many of us are employed in highly stressful jobs. We can hardly be living life to the fullest if we have no energy with which to play and no inclination for simply fooling around. Although the subject of health has a very serious side, too much seriousness in life breeds anxiety and fear. Seriousness is the generator of judgment, and we get caught up in evaluating, questioning, and judging all aspects of our lives. Do whatever breaks the undue seriousness in your life and open up to play and just lighten up. Make a promise to yourself and get out there and play at whatever activity you enjoy. If you need a health and wellness coach to partner with you, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. Do you or does your child constantly struggle with time management? Hi, I'm Scott Doty, master educator, performance coach, and founder of Brainstorm Tutoring and Arts, an elite network of professional academic mentors and test prep and admission coaches. At Brainstorm, my students and even their parents frequently complain that they don't have time to get all their work done and also live an enjoyable, balanced life. I often speak on the subject at companies and schools and have a lot of great tricks. Today, I want to share with you just one of them. It's the rule of 168. Now, whether you're Oprah, the Pope, or Donnie from down the block... We all get 168 hours in a week. 168 is the great equalizer. So I take my students and I encourage you to take yourself through a simple audit of how those 168 opportunities are typically utilized. Let's say my student's name is James. I'll say, okay, James, how many hours a week are you in school? How many hours a week do you sleep? How many hours, including travel time, are you a basketball, a youth group, rehearsal? How many quality hours are you spending with your family and friends or hygiene and eating meals? We tally it all up and lo and behold, there's always leftover time unaccounted for. Guess what? James is not paying attention to how much time he's on his phone or watching Netflix or just killing time. All he needs to do is be more intentional about how he uses his time. Remember, we all get 168. We all have time. What we need to work on are our priorities. The 168 audit is a good tool to help you out. If you'd like to connect with me, Scott Doty, or learn more about Brainstorm, feel free to check out stormthetest.com. You said it before with absolute conviction. Starting January 1st, I'm going to fill in the blank. Then you've blown off that promise like it's nothing. You beat yourself up saying, why can't I keep my promises to myself? Hi, I'm Susan Greif, a speaker, author, a creative arts interpreter, and founder of Art Men's Hearts. I harness the power of creative expression to help clients release old stuck energies that keep them feeling panicked, powerless, paralyzed, and in pain. What if I told you only 8% of people keep the resolutions? So it's not you. But without a good system that keeps you on track for success, you're likely to be among that 92% who fail. If you're skeptical because you've let yourself down in the past, but are determined to try again and succeed, commit to the following seven steps. One, choose a specific change you want to make. Two, know your why. Three, plan sufficient time and energy for achieving that outcome. Four, join an online or in-person support group and ask for support often. Five, create manageable sized steps with deadlines. Six, tell support buddies these steps and ask them to hold you accountable. Seven, celebrate every completed step. If you get off track, get right back on. Don't waste time beating yourself up. Keep focusing forward. If you want support in making your New Year's resolutions come to fruition, consider joining my fifth annual New Year's resolution challenge. Find out more at artmensheartscom Are you searching for new employees? Did you know that you can create a job posting within your Facebook business page? Hi, I'm Patricia Singer of Follow Me Social Media Consulting. We work with small and mid-sized businesses to help them with their presence on the various social media platforms. Facebook has entered the job search market and you can take advantage of it. When you are on your page, you should see a job button where you write your regular posts. When you click on it, a new window will open. Here you can add a cover photo reflecting the position, as well as all the details describing that position. You can also add questions that you would like to ask the applicant to answer, such as, are you willing to travel for this job? Posting it is free. You can also boost the job and target the demographic you want to reach. 
If you would like more information, go to besttofollowme.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a certified intuitive life coach and reinvention expert who helps her clients move through life's challenges and transitions with clarity and confidence to emerge more powerful, fulfilled, and purposeful. Linda is here today to discuss how to avoid being overwhelmed. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. So, Linda, more and more, I hear people express being in a state of constant overwhelm. It seems like our culture is so focused on goal setting and goal achievement that if we're not careful, we can get caught up in this frenzy and lose our sense of inner peace. Why do you believe this is becoming such an epidemic? Well, you're right, Joan. I hear this all the time, too. Goal setting and goal achievement is definitely important, and it does help lead us to success. But the pitfall is when we find ourselves running in too many directions, having too many commitments and chasing too many goals at once. Our culture, both in the business world and in our personal lives, promotes action, activity and results. We can easily get caught up in this. Because of this, we have very high and sometimes unrealistic expectations for ourselves. When we take on too much, whether intentionally or unwittingly, life begins to unravel and feel out of control. You feel overwhelmed, undervalued, and frenzied. In an attempt to do it all and have it all, we lose our sense of center. We lose our focus and lose our peace of mind. The question is, why do we have so much on our plates? I believe it's because we're suffering from lack of clarity and lack of limits. So then, Linda, what can we do to keep ourselves from becoming overwhelmed? Well, I think the first thing we can do is pause, regroup, and get some clarity. Sit down and review all your commitments and obligations. Then write down what your most important goals and values are. How does your list of commitments, obligations, and tasks fit in? Take a hard look and see if there's one or even a few things you can eliminate or delegate. If they don't fit into your overall mission and vision, ask yourself, is this really critical? What would happen if I didn't do it? It may be time to let some things go, delegate them, or find a shortcut to the end zone. Next, based on your findings, we need to create some healthy limits to create more balance. Balance and control helps us feel safe, settled, and sane. In many ways, boundary management is even more important than time management. When you manage your boundaries, you use your precious time more wisely. You focus only on the essentials, those activities that make you more productive and less frenzied. You know, if you chase too many rabbits, you won't catch any. <laughs> <laughs> so Linda, now that we know a few ways to avoid overwhelm, what do you advise to help us reclaim a state of calm? 
Yeah, great question. So there's a number of things we can do. Here's a few suggestions. One, it really helps to clear the clutter, both mental and physical. And two, a pause is precious. Stop to breathe, hit the proverbial reset button and get some clarity of purpose. Three, learn to gracefully say no when you know your plate is already full. Four, stop to consider if there's an easier, better way with less steps or a shorter time commitment. And five, one of my favorite strategies is to put your to-do list through a filter called essentialism. In order for something to remain on your list, it has to fit certain predetermined criteria. If it doesn't, it's out. So your proposed task has to pass this test. It must meet three minimum preset criteria and two of three preset extreme criteria. If the task, project, or obligation doesn't pass the test, you gotta take it out. This makes you very aware of and only allows you to take on tasks that are essential and in alignment with your greater overall vision. It quickly eliminates non-essentials that don't fit into your predetermined criteria. It eliminates overwhelm by using a clear formula for choosing priorities, and it creates a clear, logical, non-emotional way of choosing what to say yes to and what to say no to. When you follow this formula, you systematically eliminate tasks that tend to overwhelm, you create space in your schedule for the right things, you honor your physical, mental, and emotional needs, and you create clarity of purpose, which leads to a state of peace and calm. Linda, thank you so much for joining us and for discussing this important topic. If you would like to learn more great life strategies from Linda, you can visit her website, livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. At highway speeds, the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. That's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Stop texts. Stoprex.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.